Hello everyone. Welcome back to the Venture Stories, a podcast focused on navigating the art of product thinking. In today's episode, we are delighted to welcome back our leadership advisor Miguel Caramis, the chief product officer at Mobilium. If you remember, Miguel helped us kickstart the journey as the first guest of this series of podcasts. If you have not yet had a chance to listen, uh, I would we would encourage you to listen to the first two episodes of the series. In those two episodes, Miguel shared his career journey and we introduced the 13 Miguelisms. You'll have to tune into the first episode to figure out why 13. Uh, we, we discussed the alignment of the Miguelisms to the core venture's mission of product thinking and the three areas that we emphasize, focus, adaptability, and the product culture slash mindset. Uh, in today's episode, we will dive into adaptability and dive deeper into the Miguelisms that align with adaptability. So Miguel, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure having you and uh, let's dive right in. Can you share your views about adaptability and the Miguelisms that you wrote about that uh, align with adaptability? Sure, and uh, yeah, first of all, thanks for uh, having me back. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back with both of you guys. I have to say, I finally had a chance to catch up with the other episodes, and I enjoyed learning about Eugenia and, and Pradeep's journeys and their adventures. Right? So I'm very proud of the community you guys are building here, Adventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it goes to the Miguelisons that went into the, the adaptability bucket, there were three of them. Right? The first one was being flexible, the second being title or org structure unaware, and the third one, seizing the opportunities. Right? And, I think being flexible is quite self-planatory, but at times uh, I think we all forget that really nothing is static around us, right? The market, our customers, our competitors, and the very technology we work on is changing. So you really can't create static three-year plans or even one-year plans anymore. Right? Like you have mm-hmm. to be tuned to, to the changing reality. Uh, the second one, the being title or um, org structure and aware, I always felt it was something that was organic at Motorola. I, like we, we never really knew um, who was a director or a VP or an SVP. You were, it was a very uh, engineering oriented organization. And as an SME, a domain expert, you were empowered. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's kind of where we grew up, right? I got off you and myself. And yeah. so, so when I moved to Verizon, it was, a lot different, right? It's uh, almost like a cultural shock. Things were structured and very regimented. And I, I, I remember in the early days, I felt like nothing would ever happen uh, if I was just following the rules. Um, especially when, when I had my first big assignment, I was building the global, the global roaming solution for 4G. You know, there were so many other big priorities happening in the company that at that point as Verizon was rolling LTE and was moving from, you know, the legacy CDMA technology to a completely different way to run and build a network. And uh, so I just had to make decision and kind of move, right? Build the core team, uh, the relationship that would help me keep things moving forward and then ask for forgiveness later, right? And, Kind of what I saw is the more the more I did it, the more I was allowed to do it. Now, th- there is no free lunch, right? So the <laughs> more responsibility you take on, uh, the more people are going to expect that you you do what you are, you know, what you are volunteering to doing. 
but at the same time, it allowed me to grow and um, and take on more. And and towards the end, to be honest with you, I felt like blaming the org structure was a very convenient way to be safe. Right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm not gonna do this because I need mm -hmm. to wait for a million approvals and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So um, that that was um, kind of a big second lesson learned. Um, and then the seizing the opportunities, I, you know, I felt like it's just something that came kind of from my DNA, right? Like grew up in a poor family in Spain, first one to go to university, first one to go into technology, first one to move internationally. And so it, it was just something that you have to do, right? Yeah, that's... Uh... So Miguel, I mean, Silicon Valley has an exact uh, aphorism for that. It's called uh, move fast and break things. Uh, you know, people right. follow it in different ways and uh, different forms. But you know, what you pointed out, being flexible, being structure agnostic, seizing the opportunity, asking for forgiveness later, and just running with the moment what you have is so, so spot on with the adaptability kind of uh, concept that you've you know, uh, coined. Uh, my question is that perhaps you can make it a little more uh, real world uh, example oriented so that what you have experienced in either Motorola, Verizon or somewhere else so that our listeners can tune into a specific incident that may have happened. Yeah, so so I'll use the, I think the, the best real world example was um, when I was still at Motorola and the opportunity presented itself uh, to go to China, right? Take an expert assignment mm -hmm. to Beijing. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, I didn't know the team. I didn't know the leadership team that I was going to work with. I had a, a very, call it like high level one line, the kind of description, right? Is you are gonna go there, you're gonna train the team in Beijing, a junior team on 3G. So they take over 3G development and then the team back in Chicago was going to move to YMAX and LT to 4G basically. And um, th there was very little right to go off of. It's like, okay, I'm gonna move to a completely different country that I've never been to, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, with uh, to work with a team that I don't know uh, on a task that I've never done, like, and it was a, a, a you know a time to just take a chance, right? And and uh, I saw it as an opportunity to do something different, learn a, a different way of working, and then once I I was there, adaptability was the name of the game, right? Like every single day was an adventure, sure. right? uh, uh, including with the team, uh, you know, it's uh, they they were. Kind of, uh, you know, expecting that everything would be very processed for them, right? like the information, the training, but but that didn't really was not going to work. It wouldn't happen at the right speed, right? Because I had a year to get them all trained, and so even the process of teaching, right, and getting them scared, for lack of a better word, and telling them, you know, guys, uh, come December, I'm out. Don't call me. Right? You are on your own at that point. <laughs> you know, I love you all, but I'll I'll be busy doing something else. Sure. And just kind of instilling the fear so they had to own it early and take advantage of the time they were going to have together so I could either help them or or know who could help them. Right? So it was all about adaptability and it was a great uh, professional experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, before yeah. Gaurav jumps in, quick question. Did you learn any Chinese either to or <laughs> speak or cook? I, I learned, yeah, survival skills. I, I was able to travel <laughs> all over the country, and and I met my wife there. So yeah. I think it was a, a very uh, successful. Wonderful, year. wonderful. Yeah. 
that's what i was going to say he met his <laughs> wife there so that uh, seizing the opportunity definitely worked out for him wow uh, and wow. actually it is it is uh, interesting mikhil that you picked that as an example because i have uh, uh, used that example of what you did in terms of seizing the opportunity because absolutely there was very little defined at that time uh, for the entire team when you were one of the people who raised your hands and did that and you uh besides uh, uh, serving the organization you kind of see the opportunity transition to your career uh, so that's a great example uh, uh now one thing as you were talking about earlier uh, that came to my mind when you were talking about the example again back from the motorola days i was actually earlier today listening to a podcast by adam grant uh, called mm. work life uh, and there was something in there about bureaucracies and how breaking the bureaucracies etc some works and how do you go about doing that uh, uh, and uh, i think what you're talking about kind of resonated uh, along those lines uh, so sometimes uh, i feel books podcasts or even movies can help build a sequence of thoughts Uh, so is there something related to adaptability or theme that uh, is top of mind that you would like to recommend yeah so so one that i was when i was thinking about kind of uh, you know like real world examples um one that i really really think is very like applicable is the book about the early netflix days right that would never work uh this i, I mean i think is or like the perfect example on adaptability like how you know they had this idea uh but they had that, that the implementation of the idea had so many practical problems right that it could have been daunting right and it, really like if you are not a, a strong believer in what you're trying to accomplish you would give up at any step along the way right and i, I enjoyed in the book how they go through that process or like tackling the small problems one at a time right to unbundle the opportunity for the next step in their growth trajectory right so the design of the packaging for the dvds right so it could be cheaper to mail them you could reuse them and and this is going to sound like a jurassic park for some of the listeners <laughs> but this happened the day before yesterday right like uh, that's that's how we used to consume media uh, and then you know like going from like centralized distribution for the dvds to distributing them closer to where people were consuming it the algorithms that went into making sure you had the right units and the right number of units in the right places and then kind of how this transition into their streaming business right and and the use of data and understanding customer behavior i think it was really phenomenal and it's a really fun book in that is not like preachy is not trying to convince you of anything mm-hmm. it's telling you what works for them right and and why yeah and and i'm totally with you because you know not these some of these really great companies go through a moment of self doubt and uh, when they change strategy and netflix was one of them uh, twice in their career netflix's career they've actually lost about 30% of market cap one was this decision to move away to streaming uh, right. that caused them to drop and the second was when they lost subscriber counts uh, because of various different reasons about 25-30% of market but they have recovered and they they find a way to adapt themselves and find a way to kind of you know target the markets anew uh and and see how that uh, kind of frames for them you know and I'm going to jump shift because I know you're a big sports fan Gaurav and I are big sports fans as well and sometimes the, the mind of a sports athlete also moves in such quick moments where they need to adapt to circumstances would you see any lessons from sports that you may want to share about and uh, tell our listeners 
Yeah, so one one that I thought it was uh, you know it was pretty cool to see, and you know obviously you know I gotta pay homage to uh, my home country, right, in Spain. <laughs> so uh, you know it was the the Spanish national soccer team, right? So for the longest time, really for my life, they were always underachievers, right? Like choking in the last minute, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Until the magic, like 2008 through 2012, right? When they mm-hmm. won back to back to back the European, then the World Cup, then the European Championship. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that I, when I think about adaptability, the thing that was cool about their process is Spain always tried to be kind of what other nations were, right? They tried to find the physical players right, that Germany could have or the strong defense like Italy could have, right? And, and as they were preparing for the 2008, there were some key injuries to some of those physical players and the coach that they had at the time who since then has passed away decided you know what like i have all these little dudes like the bajitos that they call the short ones right a bunch of <laughs> shorter guys that just were very technically strong and he decided you know what the hell you know that's what i'm gonna try i'm gonna put all these guys that are very talented and i'm gonna let them do their thing instead of trying to be somebody that we are not and uh, through that change and, and going to ball control and uh, getting the other team exhausted chasing the ball, that's where success mm-hmm. came from, right? And it was all about embracing really what you have, right? The, the unique talent that you have rather than, than try to imitate what your competitors are doing. And I thought that was brilliant and all about adaptability. Totally. You know, and the interesting thing for that one, uh, that you're talking about the men's soccer team, but that happened identically for the women's soccer team for Spain. Right. That was another brilliant case case study. I mean, uh, but yeah, we can talk about that. So, so uh, this has again been a great conversation. Uh, at this point, we are done with our regular segment, and uh, we are going to violate our rule here a little bit about uh, it's not really a TikTok, uh, but not a documentary <laughs> either. Uh, but based on popular audience feedback, uh, we are going to actually introduce another segment to our podcast, uh, and we. Uh, so far, whatever we've talked about, it appeals to product leaders, people like ourselves quite a bit. Uh, but we would also like to share something with, with is more re- applicable to early to mid-career product managers and thinkers. And sort of what Miguel had touched upon last time, uh, that, uh, okay, if there was a Miguel like 14 years back and uh, uh, as Miguel shares his Miguelisms, uh, yeah, they're like, okay, this is me. And uh, so we want to make that a little bit formal uh, and start going into a segment that we call Doses of Product Thinking Insights. Uh, so we'll all share one insight based on our experiences as part of this segment. And we thought, what better way to do this than kick this off with Miguel, who actually helped us kick off the original podcast series. So let's dive into this segment of Doses of Product Insights. And Miguel, we'll start with you. All right. So I, I, the one that I chose is um, Agile Methodology. And, you know, I think by now is well known and very uh, widely adopted. But Gaurav, you remember when we started with Agile 20 years oh, ago? Oh, yes. And right? <laughs> Motorola, right? And uh, <laughs> it, it really wasn't an easy change. Like all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're expecting a smaller teams with a product manager and developers mm-hmm. and QA people and documentation people to log themselves in a room and trust each other. And they all come mm-hmm. from organizations that, you know, in let's say before this, maybe they were not always transparent with one another, right? Or, or they would hide information until it was the right time. 
and it requires a huge amount of trust, mm -hmm. right? And uh, you're getting people to iterate, churn new codes, get artifacts out every six weeks. And I've seen it used, and, I, and we use it at Mobilium uh, right now, right? In all the companies, different departments. And I think it's extremely powerful, right? Because you can get products out faster in front, mm -hmm. in the hands of your customer, see how it works, right? Like the usability, the feedback, and adjust, right? Learn and adjust. And, and I think it's super powerful. One thing that I would add is, and, and this is a pet peeve of mine, right? Like uh, at times folks think about Agile and they think it's a, a free for all, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, you don't even have requirements up front, but, but really Agile needs a lot of discipline, right? And mm -hmm. you need to have a, key, a, a clear vision of the problem you're trying to solve, the product, what the product should and shouldn't do, and then what the critical requirements are. And then yep. you work through that discipline to create a much better product a lot faster. But if you don't have that discipline, you can end up with a hot mess, right? And, and mm -hmm. take a lot longer than waterfalls. So I think uh, it's that magic combination of the trash the process, and, uh, but I have the, the clear vision of what the product is and what's important. Yep, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, uh, you know, key one of the key tenets of uh, product thinking is the iterative sort of uh, process and Agile is a great enabler. So, uh, but what you said, it's not free for all, it is still a process. So that makes a lot of sense. I would uh, myself like to dive a little deeper into the user-centric adaptation uh, kind of pillar of product thinking and how that uh, maybe lines up with the adaptability segment that we're talking about. Uh, and uh, one example that jumps to my mind is after Motorola, Miguel and I were together, I actually joined this company called Starling Networks. And what I'm going to say right now, I cannot take all that credit. The credit goes to the founding team of Starint. However, so Starrent came up with this thing of industry's first multi-access, multi-service gateway. And that seems like a lot of uh, buzzwords or terms. Uh, however, each of those uh, things is important because when you think about user-centric, the service provider, uh, for example, network planning people, that's where Miguel went after Motorola. What they care about is, okay, they have to run 3G, maybe in few, uh, like 4G, then 5G, different generations come about, then there are control plane gateways, user plane gateways, there are all kinds of access technologies, all kinds of uh, functions that you need to run. And then there are all these services that they need to run, which was in traditionally called the GI line or value-added services network. And each of these used to have different boxes that uh, a service provider would have to buy. Uh, by getting extremely focused on this mission of building a multi-access, multi-services gateway as one platform, uh, the founders of Star and Networks, and then when I joined, I had a great time there getting behind that mission and really taking that to the market and really wowing the customers and in this being extremely the focus was completely on the end user and customer. And we created something that revolutionized the mobile broadband network and then pretty much re redefined the playbook for anybody else in the market. And it, it was a great product. It really was. <laughs> you, were, you were one of our best customers. So yes. <laughs> so I'm just going to add on, you know, Miguel, to your point about Agile, being Agile and uh, Gaurav, your point about uh, user-centered adaptation. You know, and my point is around more about technology and market changes. And um, I was I was fortunate enough to be a founder of one of our you know technology startups within Cisco called Nefello Systems. And Nefello basically thought about virtualization 
before virtualization became a thing. Uh, all of us now live in the virtual world, whether it's in cloud, whether it's in uh, different forms of consumption that we have. But at that point of time, we're talking about 2014 timeframe, virtualization was a new word and customers were asking us these questions that, hey, by the way, why should we care about this? So the two things that I would tell, you know, next generation product thinkers and new product thinkers is that one is that always be paranoid. Uh, there was a famous book written by Andy Grove a long time back called Only the Paranoid Survive. Mm-hmm. Be paranoid about market changes. Be paranoid about customer requirements. That is always going to be the front and center of how you make this adaptation happen, how you adapt your methodologies that you have uh, to this new landscape. And the second one, which I think I'm going to pick on what Miguel said earlier in this conversation, make set plays before the change happens. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean? So when the Spanish soccer team was looking at a set play, their coach came out and said, hey, by the way, we need to make these changes. We need to make these changes as product managers, make these set plays happen before these markets change and adjust itself. We looked at cloud, virtualization, present day, it's AI. Uh, these are all differences that are happening in the, in the market dynamics that we as product managers need to think about well in advance uh, of the market change. So that would be my thought point about technology dynamics and adjusting our new segments and pricing strategies to adapt to those. Uh, that's great. Uh, hopefully our listeners find this new segment that we have introduced useful. And uh, uh, with that, we can stay a little over the uh, time limit that we had sort of set for ourselves. But uh, uh, this was based on popular demand. We really think that uh, uh, all of us sharing real world examples around the core product thinking principles is going to be useful for our audience. So please do take a listen and share your opinion with us. Uh, With that, we would like to close out today's episode. So Miguel, thanks again for joining us. It has been a pleasure. Uh, Thank you.